So this week, we're in our last passage, in the last of the Minor Prophets, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. We haven't worked through the whole Old Testament, uh, in, in case this is your, like, your first week or something. You know, that would have been cool, but uh, it would have taken a while. Um, last week, we saw the people of Israel question the justice of God in a way that might be uncomfortably familiar for many of us. When those who don't care about God seem to prosper, seem to do well in life and, and in this world, and those who worship Him often seem to suffer. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll just step back a step from that and just say for anyone who hasn't been with us for this, one, this whole book, Malachi is written to the people of Israel after the exile. Uh, there are people who are small, who are marginalized from society. They are they're a small nation under the control explicitly of other empires and nations. They have a smaller temple than they used to, a smaller Jerusalem than they used to, and they've been struggling with lethargy and apathy as a result. They've been wondering whether it's worth worshipping God at all as a result. And so they question, you know, God, are you even just? Are you even just when your people who seek to worship you are marginalized and the people who don't worship you at all, they rule over us. And the response to that was clear last week. The Lord will come. He will come to refine his people and he will come to judge the world. And in light of that coming, there was an invitation and a promise put forward. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. And considering this, Perhaps a little bit surprising how our passage for today starts. Um, you know, we kind of get to that big moment of invitation. We're like, okay, so things have changed now. Um, and, and exactly the same struggle is voiced again in different words by the people of God. The people say, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge? We call the arrogant blessed. Perhaps, perhaps the key few words there I'd like to zero us in on today are, what is the profit? P-R-O-F-I-T. What, what's gained? What is, and what's gained and what is lost? And, and does it balance out? What's gained by being a follower of God? What's the profit of turning away from sin? Is it worth it to trust in Him? You see, it's easy for a follower of God in this world to have narrow vision. We might imagine the way that we see the world as kind of a set of scales, right? Scales which weigh the question, what is the profit? Is it worth it? When I weigh what is gained and what is lost following God, is it really worth following Him? And it's easy to look at those scales and to think that, what you lose is like an elephant on the scales. Elephants are big. I'm not sure if you've ever met one. I've seen a few of them in my life. They're usually at a distance in zoos because they're so big that they're quite dangerous to us. Um, they're intimidatingly big. And you know what? There's, there's a reason that when we look at the scales, when we think about what we might lose in order to follow God, to live faithfully trusting in God, we see an elephant on the scales. And here's the reason. There's an elephant on the scales. The, 
plain fact is that we just aren't used to the elephant. Uh, in the place and the time in history that we live in, we're not used to there being such an elephant on the stage. For some time now, it's been the norm in Australia, as in many Western nations, that the effect of following Jesus on the everyday life of a person uh, has often been either neutral, it kind of doesn't do any good or doesn't do any bad for you, or it's been positive, you know. It's, it's been a bit of a get-ahead in life. It's kind of like being a part of the in-club for a while there, perhaps. But right now, the culture of Australia and many Western countries is changing in this regard in a rapid way. The elephant is starting to grow. I mean, even small elephants are pretty big. To hold to the biblical Christian faith is increasingly being seen as a backwards thing, maybe even as a harmful thing. It does not seem out of the question at all that in my time, my lifetime, we will see Australia turn heavily against believers in Jesus in a way that we haven't seen probably since Australia was named Australia. That shouldn't surprise us as Christians. That shouldn't make us go, whoa, okay, all right, we need to back down a bit here. This has been the reality for the vast majority of Christians throughout all of history. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say that significant persecution is the reality for hundreds of millions of Christians today in this world. Open Doors, Open Doors is an organization that uh, supports the persecuted church. And so they keep a, a finger on this pulse and they check this and they go, well, how many Christians are living in the country where there is significant persecution? And they, you can look up how they define that if you really want, but um, they estimate that it's around 360 million Christians today live in countries where there is significant persecution. That is to say, for 360 million Christians today, the elephant on the scales is pretty large already. We tend to have a, a bit of a Western view of Christianity where we're like, well, it's been so good for so long. But there are countries in the world that's just been continuously bad. <laughs> uh, ever since Christianity got there over the last 2,000 years, it's been a hard time. The elephant's been huge. For every follower of Jesus everywhere, it is not unusual for us to run into this question then. Is it worth it? When we look at the size of the elephant on the scales, we can wonder often, is this worth it this this isn't just a a big scale thing like a like a well when i step back and look at the whole of my life is it worth it this is a moment by moment question you understand when you face an opportunity to show love to someone in the name of jesus but you know that it's going to cost you time it's going to cost you money it might cost you lots of things you have to ask the question is it worth it for me to follow jesus in this moment Whether we think it or not, that's the question we ask. When you drive past that person who's broken down on the side of the road and clearly needs assistance, but you're really late to get to your thing and your thing's really important, you know, and and you're like, well, God's called me to love my neighbor and you you remember explicitly because we, uh, I don't know about you, I always have flashed through my mind the whole good Samaritan thing, you know, and I'm like, well, that's, Am I just going to go ahead and be the priest in this situation who drives past and goes, yeah, I'm sure someone else will help you. I'm very busy. You know, I'm a pastor, you know. Uh, <laughs> is it worth it to care? You know, when you, 
when you have the opportunity to speak about Jesus to someone, to tell them about his love, to tell them about how the way that maybe they've seen him isn't right, but he is so good and that they need him. But you know that they might push back on that. They might even break off the relationship as a result of that. We run into this question, don't we? Is it worth it? Does the elephant standing on these scales justify maybe staying silent and going the, going the way of the world? Going, someone else will help with that. Someone else will tell that person. It's not really my job. This is the reality that Jesus commands us to grapple with. Jesus doesn't leave us in a place where we go, well, man, mate, you know, should I think about whether I should suffer for the Christian faith or not? This is what Jesus says. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I kind of stumbled that word there, daily. This is an everyday thing. The Bible doesn't have a version of following Jesus that is low cost. And there's a reason for that. We are followers of Jesus. We follow that he has gone ahead of us. He is the pattern for where we go. When he said, take up your cross, that was before he went to his cross. Everyone in that context would have understood the image though, right? That the Romans regularly crucified people that stood against them. He's saying, take up your cross, be ready for the most excruciating death to follow me and gain more, but we'll get to that. And he knew that he was going to go to a very literal cross. Again and again, the Bible emphasizes this. Christians should expect to suffer because Jesus suffered and we follow him. I'm sorry, this isn't like happy-go-lucky preaching today. If if you're looking for that, you might be in the wrong place. Um, Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Just a second. Pay attention to the downward trajectory here. Not trajectory, that's a big word. Trajectory. He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in him. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, lowered himself and lost everything. Following him requires we be ready to do the same. He has led the way. We must follow him. Because we claim that he is our savior, that he is the one who leads our lives. And so we ask the question again, is it worth it? And God gives a loud answer here in Malachi. Look at this. Um, Something remarkable happens in Malachi. In Malachi, there's about one verse of narrative. The rest of it is just Malachi speaking, basically, or, 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 or like narrating Malachi speaking. But narrative of what the people do happens once specifically. It's in 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him 
of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Something remarkable happens in his day. Repentance happens. This moment is so beautiful. The group of people respond to the word of the Lord. The remnant repents. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. And they return to him. They come together and they talk about their sin, about their wrongdoing, and they turn back to God. And God hears them, even though they've been distant and sinning and, and half-hearted and, and, and turned away from him. They turn back to him and he hears and he loves. And in response to this moment, God gives one more message of immense hope. Dawn is coming. He broadens their perspective. Remember I said at the start, we can have narrow vision as we look at the scales of this life. And we think there's an elephant on one side, and there is an elephant on one side. Certainly there is. The cost today is great, and it's probably going to be greater. But on the other side, what is gained is beyond comparison. You see, what Malachi does is he calls us to look at today in light of the greater reality, in the greater reality of what is true today, in the greater reality of what will be true on the day when Jesus returns. I count five massive benefits that Malachi points us towards here that are guaranteed for those who follow Jesus today. Benefit number one. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day when I make up my treasured possession. When Jesus returns, when eternal destinies are being dished out, you will be revealed to be what you are today, the treasured possession of God. Protected by him, held close by him, honored by him, treasured by him for all of eternity. Benefit two, he says he will treat us as his sons. Again, what is reality for those who trust in Jesus here and now will be displayed in glory then. We are his children, heirs of his kingdom. Being his sons and daughters today means that we follow in the footsteps of his greater son, Jesus, in suffering. But it means that on that day, we will follow, we will follow in his footsteps where he has gone now into glory because we are his sons and daughters. Benefit three, we will be spared from judgment. God says of the day coming here in Malachi 4 verse 1, behold, the days are coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither them neither root nor branch and just before that he said you know um, once more you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked this is the distinction a day of judgment is coming but don't miss it this is only those who are in Christ who will be saved only those who have trusted in Christ no loss in the here and now could ever compare to what will be lost then. 
Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses himself, forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That is true loss. Lose, be willing to lose everything in the here and now if it means you belong to Jesus on that day. Number four, but for you, he says, verse two of chapter four, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I love that picture. Although the return of Jesus will mean the heat of judgment for anyone who refuses to follow him. For those who receive him, it will be the warmth of the dawning sun. Have you ever sat at sunrise in a cold night and felt that first warmth of you? Such a beautiful thing, such an amazing image. He will come with healing, he says. This is, you know, many of us are struggling with physical illness right now. And you know, this promises that on the day that Jesus returns, that's gone. But it promises much more than that. The warmth of this healing is more than phys just physical healing. This sunrise will make you whole. It will restore you to everything you were made to be, a glorious restoration, the likes of which we can't even imagine now. Life like you've never felt life. You know, we, we went through 1 Corinthians recently, and I'm just going to skip us back to 1 Corinthians 15 here. But Paul talks about the resurrection being the difference between, like the difference between our body now and the resurrection body, being the difference between the seed and the tree. Like, so much more glorious than the seed is the tree. So much more glorious will you be when you are made whole into what you were meant to be. Number five. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now that might make us feel rather uncomfortable. I don't know about you, stirs a bit of discomfort in me. Let me call you to remember two things. First, the people this was written to were a people who were suffering under real persecution and oppression the likes of which I'm, I'm very confident to say none of us have experienced. Real injustice, real sin against them in a catastrophic way is happening. And this is a promise that one day justice will be done and there will be no more oppressor to tread them down. It's not saying they will destroy the wicked. It's saying they will already be gone. But second thing, the only thing that separates the one who is burned up in the judgment and the one who celebrates at the rising of God's son in Jesus' return is your response to Jesus now. 
what defines how you will receive the second coming is how you've received it first. Always, always the fear of the judgment. All have sinned, the Bible says. I deserve to be the ash. And yet, and yet I will be one who receives the sunrise with joy. To everyone, God makes the offer paid in full by the blood of his son. Trust in Jesus and his return will be nothing but joy for you. Once again, Jesus is our example and our assurance that this is true. His resurrection guarantees that for all who believe in him, the scales are going to be righted. We read from Paul's words. We read from these earlier on in Philippians, right? But we didn't actually finish the passage. Let me read you the full thing. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, remember the downward trajectory, right? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus counted the cost and paid it in full. Therefore, Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has gone ahead of us in suffering, but he has gone ahead of us to reign in glory. And the, the Bible says in, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, it says that we will reign with him. How amazing is that? In 1 John, it says, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Ephesians says, it says it to make the point that this is super duper secure for anyone who's in Christ Jesus now. It says, you have been placed in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now. That is how secure you are and this future is for you. Isn't the elephant starting to look a little bit smaller? Relatively speaking, he's still an elephant. On the lost side of the scales though, an elephant. On the gain side, the sun. S-U-N. You know, okay, I looked this up this week. I don't know how they calculated this, but the sun has the volume of about three and a half septillion elephants. That's three, five, and then 23 zeros. It's a, it's a metaphor, but I think it gets the point across. The dawn is coming. At the end of the Old Testament, God says through Malachi, the sunrise shall visit you from on high. At the end of the New Testament, Jesus says something closely related. Revelation 22, 16, Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. One person said about that, they said, the morning star only appears when the night has reached its greatest darkness. And although it is still dark and will be for some hours yet, when you see the morning star, you know that the night is over. The time is near. Where we sit, 
right now in history between the first and the second comings of Jesus. We sit in, in the first rank of the door. We sit in this unique place. Soon it will be the true brightness of day. And when the day comes, night will flee away. When the day comes, there'll be no more questions of whether it was worth it. As the sunrise of the full and unveiled presence of Jesus shines on those who believe they will be made whole, a healing which surpasses the physical and makes you everything you were created to be. And you will know it was, it was a billion, billion times over, even just in that moment, worth it. As Jesus shines on those who believe, we will leap like calves from the stall. This is the one moment in the sermon where I'm just really genuinely sad that my dad's not preaching this. Because like, he, how many years were you a cattle farmer for? Decades, right? What happens when you separate mummy cow from baby cow? You're not happy about it, right? I remember that. I remember the booing. What happens when you let out baby cow from the stall and let it go back to mum? They leap <laughs> with joy. They leap because, because we are certain. We will leap because we are certain that finally, after all this time, after everything we've been through, this is where we belong. And a billion, billion times over, it was worth it to follow him. And that'll be just the first moment, right? Imagine, you know, you might, you might, if you're super lucky, get 85 years in this life. Um, that's batting above the national average. Um, imagine how worth it will be. A billion's an inaccessibly large number. Imagine how much, how worth it will be in 160, 170 years. 170 years of resurrected life with Jesus. Which I am. Charlie's wearing the resurrection crown now. <laughs> Imagine how worth it will be in 500 years when you're still filled with joy and there's none of the toil, none of the pain and the sorrow, but you're with your Savior in full joy. 500 years. The time between us and the Reformation. That helps. Imagine how worth it will be. Like in, in, in like, let's say, 2,000 years, right? All of the time between Jesus and now. Imagine how worth it will be in 10,000 years, in 100,000 years, in, in a billion years. Do you know how many 100,000s go into a billion? Lots. I didn't check that one. I'm just guessing. <laughs> no, I'm right. But, um, and you will say for all of eternity, it was worth it. You're glorious, Lord. Barry White sits next to us. I think I'm going low. Right now. Right now in the first rows of the door. An invitation rings out. Join the people of the day. Don't be fooled by this world, which seems to offer so much. Lose it. 
willingly to gain infinitely more. Trust in Jesus. You know, if you've never trusted in Jesus, maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've sat in church your whole life, maybe this is the first time you've heard these words, but come, gain what cannot be lost and is so much more than everything else. For this, and, and all you need to lose is something you were never going to be able to hold on to anyway. But this is, this is not just a once-off call, is it? This is a call for all of our lives. Live as people who trust in Jesus. Live as people of today. To trust in Jesus and the reality of his return isn't just a decision that you make and leave it and you wind it up and let it go until the bell comes off and comes back. It is a trust which is lived in every moment of life. Having your eyes up on his return will mean saying no to many things now. This is something God's people need to practice, something we've probably got a bit lazy at. It'll mean making time in your life to connect with God. It means making time in your life to lead others into relationship with God, to make connections with those who do not know God so that they might come to know Him. It'll mean making time in your life to be a part of the people of God meaningfully as a disciple of Jesus in a community of disciples who are growing in the mission of God together. It'll mean setting aside other things, things which seem so important in the here and now, in order to make that time for what is most important, for what will bear eternal fruit. In coming times, as we've mentioned, it might mean choosing to lose a whole lot more than that. It might be a time when to trust in Jesus and to believe what he says is true is true. It might separate you from succeeding in your chosen field of work. That's reality. Millions, hundreds of millions of Christians. Because you're such a backward sinner. He's not welcoming you. You know, in the, in the days of the early church, you know, maybe we hear that and we think, oh no, you know, I'm going to, you know, the church is like, you know, what Jesus is doing is going to die in the world because it's going to get harder. And yet, like, you look at the early church, right? In the early church, they were required, people were required, by the time you got to the late first century, right? They were required to worship the emperor. And obviously, to be a Christian, you have to say no to that. And emperor worship, the cult of the emperor, was required. Like, it was like resume stuff for most of the job. To enter the guild, to work in all the different areas. And so Christians had to be willing to lose it. And, and like, you might notice we're still here. 2,000 years later. In fact, it exploded in that context. Christians throughout time have had to suffer the loss of work, of relationships, of family. They've been rejected, of security, of freedom, even of their very lives for the sake of being a follower of Jesus. It's not mad to think that we might get to somewhere near there too. 
it's much more realistic actually looking at our world than it, than it did even 20 years ago. But no matter what we're called to lose, we must continue in faithful Jesus, trust in Jesus. We must continue on in faithful witness to the world around us. As you go home this week, as you see those people who are your neighbours, and you wonder, you know, should I be spending time with these people? I've got a lot on my plate. Should I be making that connection? Ask yourself, what's the thing of eternal benefit you can do? What's the thing of eternal fruit? What's the thing that leads you in following people who reach the lost? Trust in Jesus. We've got to continue in faithful witness to the world because we belong to the day that is to come. The dawn is coming and he is welcome. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your sustaining grace. Let this half hour of our lives today be a parable of our lives. My voice has been breaking like a teenager the whole time. And yet it is not broken because you sustain it. We may face pressure in this life. Pressure to compromise. Pressure not to be faithful in the testimony of what you have done. Pressure to stop repenting and turning from sin and turning to you. Lord, we face it every day. We may become more. Lord, lead us to be a people who count the cost and know that the benefit outweighs the cost. Like the sun outweighs an elephant. Lead us to be a faithful people. Lead us to be a gospel-forward people carry out the word because we know that you have richly brought your goodness and your truth into our heart and saved us and transformed us through it. Let us be people of the dawn. We know that the dawn is coming and so we rejoice in the loss of anything. That means we are walking steadfastly towards the day of your return, faithfully following you, Jesus. Pray it in your name.